Hey, well, good morning. My name is Bert, um, pastor over at uh, Anthem Ventura. It, I just want to echo what Steve said. It is an absolute joy to do this together, to team up, uh, to worship under the sun, uh, to sing his praises, and now to open the text and be shaped by it. And so if you do have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you can go ahead and take it out. Um, and uh, we're going to be a bit all over the place. Uh, We're going to be hitting all four of the Gospels, but where I'm going to be camping out in just a few is a few verses in John chapter 20. For those of you who are newer to the Jesus kind of church thing, Easter is a really big deal to us. It's the calendar date each year uh, to remember the event, the historical event of Jesus being raised from the dead. And in doing that, he set a course for a new relationship that humanity can have with God. The resurrection is found in all four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. And these biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all look at the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, but they look at his life, death, resurrection from some different angles and perspectives. Arise, you guys have been travailing through Mark and Anthem. We're about to launch into the book of John next week. And and even in those two accounts of the life and times of Jesus, there's some different perspective. We see that Mark has some flavor of immediacy to it, right? And that flavors his account. Luke is like an investigative reporter going back and chatting with people who encountered this Jesus. And so his account is more detail-oriented. It's more like kind of fact-driven, like a journalist, They all have a bit of some different flavors. Some take the perspective of of friends and close disciples. Others, like that journalist, trying to track down what the heck happened that so shaped the world. But there are similarities, too, in each one of these four biographies. Some things that happen in each descriptive account of this world-changing person that is Jesus. And particularly, there are some things that are similar in each one of the resurrection accounts. They each have their own kind of flavor and are highlighting different things because the author is trying to get across a certain point. But they also have some similarities. So in the resurrection account across all four gospels, we see that in all four gospels, the disciples are in hiding. Particularly, the dude disciples are in hiding. They bail at the crucifixion. They go into hiding. And so another similarity that we have across all four Gospels, all four biographies, is that the women are the ones who discover the empty tomb. The women are the one who encounter Jesus first. And the women are the first ones to tell other people about it. The first Gospel preachers. But what's also across all four accounts of Jesus' resurrection is doubt. I don't know if you guys have noticed this before. Doubt by the disciples, those closest to Jesus were present in each and every one of the resurrection stories of Jesus in all four Gospels. So a brief summary in each one of the Gospels. Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17. Now now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some... What? doubted. Mark 16, starting in verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Verse 12. 
After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Verse 14, afterwards, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not, what? Believed those who had saw him. And in Luke, this famous story of a couple disciples on the road to Emmaus, a city outside of Jerusalem, starting in verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? Come on, don't you just love the questions from Jesus? They're amazing. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him, implying I don't really believe this whole thing. And finally in John, the fourth account, John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never, what? Believe. Eight days later, after his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Doubt about the most important thing in all of human history we're at the epicenter of Jesus' disciples, not three days after he died. And he told them he was coming back. They had good reason to believe he was coming. They'd walked with him for years, seen miracles. He'd raised people from the dead. He'd cast out demons. If he says he's coming back from the dead, I'm inclined to believe him. Maybe. Maybe in my better moments I am. But there's one person in these four accounts that's kind of singled out for their doubt. And this poor schmuck, his whole life is just boiled down to his nickname, Doubting Thomas. This poor guy, he had more to life to him than this one moment we get. But this is what we get. He gets a bit of a bad rap. 
But I want you to notice a couple of things about Thomas. There was lots of doubting going on with all the disciples, except the women, by the way. They knew what was up. And number two, I want you to notice that while Jesus does correct him when correction is needed, doubt is not a hindrance to the kingdom of God. Or even experiencing the reality of Jesus. The last few years, uh, doing what I do, I hear lots of stories about doubt, about disappointment with the church, disillusionment, deconstruction, decoupling from religion, whatever you want to call it. These stories seem to be rising around us. And many of you here today might even believe that doubt is the thing keeping you from Jesus. And what I want to say to you right up top is that doubt may be the thing that can actually draw you to Jesus, not keep you from him. I want to use Thomas as our example today. Through the story of doubting Thomas, I think we have three things that can help us wherever you are at with Jesus. Thomas is a bit of a mirror. He's a map and he's a mystery. Steve, how was that alliteration? Pretty good? I'm practicing. (laughs) Thomas provides for us a mirror, a map, and a mystery. Thomas is a mirror because we can all see a bit of ourselves in his story. Look again at verses 24 and 25 in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, that's an interesting little detail, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. How many of you have sat there and posed the proposition, if God would only do this, then I'll believe. Then I'll give. Then I'll serve. Then I'll take action. How many of you have put that proposition up to God? And say, if you would only do this, then I will do this. Much like an ATM transaction. We're all a bit of Thomas, realists. We're all ready to make a deal with God if God meets our demands first. After Jesus died, Thomas's whole worldview, his framework, his foundation that he built his life on came crashing down. The ground shifting under his feet and he walks away disappointed, disillusioned. He was ready to die with Jesus, but he was not ready to live without him. Maybe some of you today, that's your story. Disappointed, disillusioned. Maybe you know someone close to you who's wrestling with doubt. Maybe some of you have walked away and someone dragged you here today. Maybe some of you are are open, if not a little skeptical. Suspicious that there might be more to the material world, but not quite ready to go all in yet. Thomas, the scripture tells us, means twin. And I don't know why that's there. I didn't do like the deep dive on whether he had an actual brother or whatever. Like, I I don't feel like that's the point of this. The point of this is he's the twin because he's our mirror. We all encounter and experience doubt, disillusionment, disappointment in some way. We all pose these propositions to God of if you would only do this, then I'll do this. 
Thomas reflects back our own doubt, concerns, disappointments with the church, with religion, with Jesus himself, whatever. But Thomas is not just a mirror, he's a map. Look at the next couple of verses, 26, 27, 28. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, singles Thomas out because he knows what's in the heart and says, put your hand here, put your hand here. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas, how did he answer? My Lord, my God. One writer says, Thomas's post-resurrection doubt is not an admonition to be avoided, but an invitation to be followed. If we can see our condition in his, he can also offer us a way out. Thomas offers us two things as a map. He offers us a picture of the stuck place we may find ourselves. Confused, stuck, caught between spiritual heritage or tradition, and maybe the contradictions, paradoxes, and hurt we experience here and now. Thomas, maybe one of the most famous skeptics in human history. But here, what we have in the text is not a foregone conclusion that that leads to nothingness and nihilism. It actually leads to something different. Because his story does not end with discontentment, even though it starts with doubt. Because the second thing Thomas offers us as a map is a way to freedom. Thomas finds freedom. He finds Jesus, sees Jesus as Lord. And his doubt is a gateway to worship when he encounters the risen Christ. And third, Thomas provides for us a bit of mystery. Look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Friends, that's you and me. That's us. That's our, that's our friends, our family, our neighbors. We were not there. I'm not 2,000 years old. Blessed are those who have not seen the risen Christ in person and still believe. Thomas's story doesn't end with philosophical enlightenment and all his questions answered doesn't end with rational answers. It ends in a relational encounter with the risen Christ. For Thomas, it's not the empty tomb that changes him. He hears the reports of the empty tomb. The other disciples hear the reports of the empty tomb. That's not what did it for them. You know what did it for them? Encountering the living God. That's what did it for them. Then the empty tomb is worth celebrating because we've encountered the risen God. My invitation to you, wherever you are at today, in your story, your journey with Jesus, is to not necessarily believe a set of facts, but to encounter the living God. You guys notice in the Gospels and the early part of the book of Acts, the resurrection isn't the end of the earthly story of Jesus. He hangs out for a little bit. He hangs out for 50 days and he doesn't head to Herod's palace, Pilate's courtroom, the Roman Colosseum. He doesn't head to the big crowds. You know where he goes? One by one, group by group to his disciples. 
spending time with them. We don't have much in the way of descriptions of what he was doing because I think he was hanging out with his friends. He was bolstering their faith. He spends his last 50 days on earth, post-resurrection, spending time with his doubting, disappointed, disillusioned disciples, calling them by name, restoring their belief. And while the empty tomb is beautiful and amazing and the spark of this new revolution, Jesus doesn't point back to the empty tomb. He points to himself. He doesn't go, hey, did you hear the tomb's empty? He says, here I am. I'm with you. Look at my hands. Look at my side. And Luke, let me show you how the entirety of the Old Testament points to me. His very presence among us here and now is that which changes us. Not the intellectual knowledge of an empty tomb, helpful as that may be. It is himself with us. What if doubt is not that which turns you away from Jesus? But what if doubt is the thing that draws you closer to him? Are all of your questions answered? Maybe not. All of your issues resolved? Your past hurt dealt with? Maybe not. But does Jesus reject Thomas for all of that? No. We see this intimate, beautiful moment of grace drawing us back in. The good news of Jesus Christ is not information, but himself. What if, as one author put it, to struggle with one's faith is often the surest sign we actually have one. To those here who are wrestling with doubt, disappointment, disillusionment, hurt, you're not alone. And your doubt does not discount you from experiencing the living God. It may just be the way back to himself. Thomas wasn't convinced by the empty tomb, and maybe that's you. But when he asked, he was convinced by the living presence of Jesus. So my question, have you asked to encounter the living God. Have you asked? Thomas asked, and we all dig him for that. But Jesus answered. He showed up. In a room full of disciples, he said, Thomas, I'm here for you. That you would believe. Touch my hand. Touch my side. Believe. Easter is all about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus did raise from the dead on that first Easter day, then he is alive today and we can know him. Jesus' gospel is the offer of life as an apprentice to him by grace, through faith, in this world and the world to come. It's the greatest invitation ever given to human beings and it's not reserved for those who aren't doubting. The invitation today is open for you, for you to encounter the living God. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to keep on singing. But before we pray, I want to share with you a few things the Bible talks about. If you're in the spot today that you want to begin or restart a relationship with Jesus, 
through the doubt, through the questions, through the disappointment of people around you, through disillusionment, because none of those things discount you. So a couple of things the Bible talks about if you want to start or restart faith in Jesus today. It's to repent. And to repent is to confess your brokenness to God and to let his spirit turn your life from the old ways. Number two is to believe. Like Thomas, to acknowledge and live the reality that Jesus is Savior King. Third is to obey. See, the thing about the Christian life is it's not an intellectual exercise. It is a life to be walked out, a life of obedience to Jesus. Jesus teaches us a way of life that shows us how to live differently than what our natural sinful tendencies know how to do. And fourth, as in the resurrection accounts and all four gospels, is to share the good news. In the same way that someone probably told you about Jesus, you now have a role and responsibility in telling someone else. Both your life and your words bear witness to the goodness of God. The goodness of God, not in the perfect set of circumstances, maybe through the messiness, the hurt, and the doubt, but the goodness of God nevertheless. What if your doubt wasn't what was keeping you from Jesus, but was the pathway back to himself. If you're comfortable, why don't you go ahead and stand? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I'm going to walk us through how we're going to respond today. Jesus, thank you for that empty tomb. Thank you for the work that was done on the cross during that silent Saturday and on that Easter Sunday. And thank you, Jesus, for your presence with us. Thank you that you do not leave us behind. You do not abandon us. You don't orphan us. You are with us. And thank you, just like Thomas, if we ask, if we call out, if we're expectant, if we're anticipating it, Jesus, you meet us here in this presence. Even with the kids running around, even with the sun beating down on our back, even though we're outside and our tummy's starting to rumble or we're jittery because we had too much coffee or sleepy because we didn't have enough. Jesus, you still meet us here in this place. Thank you for your presence active with us. And thank you that our doubt, our disappointments, our disillusionment, and our hurt don't keep us from you. But you use those things to bring us back to yourself. Thank you that we're not called strangers, aliens, servants, but we're called sons, daughters, friends. Thank you for this new identity we have in you. And thank you for the work on the cross and out of the grave that achieved that identity. Amen.